0: name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Growing up, our family had a practice of catechesis around the dinner table. By that I mean we would talk about um, lessons at church or a sermon, or perhaps we would even just cover the foundational elements of the faith over dinner. On one particular occasion, I believe my brother and I were both teenagers at the time, um, we were being asked to recall the Ten Commandments. It began as one of our parents said, what's the first commandment? And we made an attempt, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that's a summary, that's not it. Um, okay, that was, uh, what was it? I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods but me. Okay, you got it. All right, so we went on to the next, and we went through, and we got down to the fourth commandment and both my brother and I had a complete brain stall couldn't remember it for anything was it thou shalt not uh, murder was it honor your father and mother and after they watched us flounder around for a little bit my mother finally jumped in to rescue us and she said remember remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy ah that was it we both remembered we were about to move on to the next one when my dad almost on cue just said what's the fourth commandment boys?" and we both kind of looked at him like where have you been um, but he'd had this moment where we've all been there. He'd just kind of drifted. He'd missed the entire conversation, missed the ensuing back and forth, and um, and chimed in and said, "What's the fourth commandment?" And so we humored him a bit. Um, we burst into laughter, and it became a bit of a family joke ever since. That when you check out from a conversation, someone would typically say, "What's the fourth commandment?" And you'd go, "Oh, all right. I wasn't paying attention, was I?" It was just kind of a recall moment for us as a family. You see, we all have those moments, right? We all have those moments where we we hear it, we read it, but we don't process it. Um, In many ways, I would venture to say one of the most missed parts of the Christian life and Christian theology as a whole is the end of the story. And by that, I mean the actual text we have from Revelation 22 this morning. And it's appropriate that on this day of all days, we should have that because today, Um, is the Sunday after the ascension, right, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. That always falls on a Thursday, which was last Thursday. And so it's wonderful that on this day, the Sunday thereafter, we recall the end of the story. We think about the fact that our hearts, as the collect of this week has reminded us, should ascend to higher things. We think about the fact that Jesus is in his rightful place in glory, Um, And he will return. The story is complete, but not yet fulfilled. And so let's look at the end of the story that's before us in Revelation 22, um, because it brings with it a bit of an anticipation um, after the ascension. I believe there's at least probably three or more lessons just in these short verses, but um, three that we'll tend to that should keep us oriented so we don't have those fourth commandment moments of what are we supposed to do and the time from Jesus' ascension until his return, the time in which we live. So let's look at that. If you've got your Bible open up to it, um, if you want to follow on the screen, you're welcome to do so as well. Um, I hope, if you've not noticed this, uh, take a look at your bulletin if you don't have your Bible. There's one word in these 11 verses that comes up six times. Did you see what it was? One word that's repeated six times in 11 verses. That, that should catch our attention. It's the word come or coming. It's found, it's tripped over uh, almost every verse in the final verses of Scripture. And not unlike a bell. That gets our attention, like in worship, right? Bells in worship check you back in. When you kind of are out, all of a sudden bells ring, oh, something's going on. Um, this word, come or coming, is like a bell in the final verses to say, don't miss it, don't check out, there's something really important here, pay attention. So as we go through these 11 verses briefly this morning, uh, bear in mind there's kind of this repetitious ringing of a bell so as to say, don't miss what is in these verses. We begin a few verses before we hit the first one, the first word coming in verse 12, back in verse 10, where it begins, um, as John writes, do not seal up the words of this prophecy for the time is near. Um, In other prophetic books, namely Daniel, Isaiah, and some latter portions, um, we call that in biblical genre apocalyptic literature, which means it's hidden. It's not yet come to pass. It's not yet fully been fulfilled. And while most of Revelation is apocalyptic, um, the end of the story basically is, don't tuck these things away. Why? The time is near. Don't seal these things up, put them on the back burner, and wait because the time is near. And there's, there's this repetition with the writing. The sentences get shorter. There's a bit of, of conclusion, a building up of anticipation of what is to come. And thus, as we read in verse uh, 11, because the time is near, let the evildoer do evil, the righteous do right, and the holy still be holy. And I am coming. I'm bringing my recompense with me. So what's going on there is simply this. The time we've been given, the days in which we live, is a period of grace. We know that. grace in which we can walk more closely with Jesus to be as he is. It's a time where those can turn away from um, their own desires and actions to follow Jesus more faithfully. But when the time comes, and as we see, it is coming soon, as scripture tells us, when Jesus returns, that window for grace closes. Not because God's not merciful. In fact, this whole season of life from Jesus ascension until his return is a, is a season of mercy It's a season of grace to get our lives in order but once he turns that time passes and then he brings his recompense which is his reward according to each for what they have done and thus what the call is is stay in what you are it's not a call to be evil but there's this reminder that if you're in that mode you, you better course correct quickly because otherwise the time will pass for you to make adjustments in life so to speak to come to jesus towards that end and this recompense that we see in verse um, 12 is a hearkening back to isaiah 40 um, where jesus returns or, or the messiah turns with a right hand that's outstretched a mighty arm bringing his recompense and his reward and who is saying this the great i am verse 13 the one who is given his name for us Revealed it first to the Israelites, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Who is there before anything was spoken into being? The one who is there when everything went sideways. The one who is there to try to reestablish relationship with humanity through the Israelites. The one who stepped into the world to redeem the world. The one who will be there to bring it all to close. It is He who says, "Pay attention, get your lives in order," and so i think the first lesson for us as we reflect on this this um, anticipation arising from the ascension is just simply to persevere it's a call to persevere to persevere in this life for we who profess faith in jesus the call is to persevere in that to be holy as he is holy to make steps in our lives to grow with him to stay the course no matter how hard it gets In first century um, Christian life, they expected these words were going to come to pass in their very lifetime, and quite frankly, thanks be to God for that, because the three quarters of the New Testament we have are because Paul and others are writing to instruct them, because they have all these questions that arise about what do we do. Well, you know, we're waiting. What do we do in the waiting? Some people are literally just waiting. First Thessalonians. What do we do with them? They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. They think Jesus is coming back. So what, what do we do with those folks? Well, they should work. If they don't, they don't have a partaking of life with you. Well, what do we do now that some people are departing this life? Weren't, weren't they supposed to be there when Jesus returns? Well, fear not. We get this beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 15 and elsewhere, right, that exposits the beauty of the resurrection. Things must die to be brought back to life, both physically and, in some cases, spiritually if they're there at the very end. That all these portions, they, they got that. And so should we. We should live our lives in that way. C.S. Lewis um, wonderfully captured this so wonderfully as he does in so many different ways in a quote that I'll call to your attention. He wrote of, of this um, so brilliantly. The greatest thing is to be found at one's post as a child of God, living each day as though it were our last, but planning as though our world might last a hundred years live each day as though it is the last day we have, but plan as though 100 years away. What do we do with the generations that are behind us? How do we form them in the faith? Do we have a place where the faith will be promulgated and taught? Um, Plan ahead, but don't leave any day as though there is something left to be done. So what does it look like then to persevere? Sounds great. We're given some instruction, in fact, a case study, if you will, Back in verse 14, if we turn there together, we'll find there are two examples. First, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may enter um, enter the city gates and have their right in the tree of life. In contrast to them, outside the city gates, are those dogs, those who have basically lived lives that are just even debased. Um, The sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, those who practice and love falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So we're given two case studies. One case, there are those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. There are those who lived peace-filled lives, although their lives were anything but peaceful. Jesus came to them quickly many cases they were martyred. It is they who are gathered in the presence of Jesus. In contrast to them, sadly, are those who chased after every other God, every other desire, in many cases, trying to extend or fill their lives with so many things. And in the very end, all they discover is they're on the outside looking in. It's tragic. So we're given these two examples. Unless we forget who's speaking these things, this is not some angelic revelation given off to some guy out in a remote part of the world, or some philosophy that's just cooked up in any other way, but this is the words of Jesus given through a messenger, an angel, and revealed um, in part to John. These are sure words. And so what we're told, simply, quite simply, is how do we persevere? Well, we persevere by remaining pure. We persevere by remaining pure in this life. What does that look like to be pure for Jesus? Well, um, wonderfully, as we turn in just a moment to the end of this text, there's this image of the spirit and the bride, a marriage image at play. In this tradition, um, we have uh, vows that are part of the marriage ceremony. Um, You've seen them, if you've never been to a wedding in this tradition, all the time on on television, right? Anytime there's a big wedding, dearly beloved we're gathered here today, that's from our prayer book. Um, The vows that they exchange are from the traditions of the church. And in that model of the vows exchanged are this wonderful reminder, perhaps for us, of what it looks like. And those vows look like this. To be faithful to Jesus, if we put him in that context, as long as we shall live. To love him. What does it mean to love him? Last week we were reminded to love Jesus means that we obey him. If you love me, you will obey me. Then the vows continue. That we'll honor him and keep him. That means that we order our lives around Jesus rather than allowing him to try to figure out where to get in on our lives in the action, right? And then lastly, that we are reminded, and in contrast to those outside the gates, that we forsake all others and we're faithful to him as long as we shall live. To be faithful to Jesus means that we're going to have a cost to pay, means that we choose him over other things. means that we're going to let go of certain things that the world thinks are silly for us to forfeit. That we've taken concrete steps. That we make um, times for silence and solitude. That we fast from the things of the world. That we um, build in routines and spiritual disciplines that assist us through action items that show our lives that match up with what we profess in our faith that we find the ways to do that. Thanks be to God, it's not on us to do that. The, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who comes next week, as we were reminded in Pentecost, enables us to. But it does require our will. Our will must be in place so as to move our lives towards that end. God doesn't puppet us around through the Holy Spirit so as to just make us do these things. But we must cooperate with those things. So we must look at our lives towards that end so that we may be pure and holy and set apart. Because that is the call upon our lives as Christians. And what's the end of the story? What's the promise? The promise is there in verse 17, if we turn back to it. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. So there's this, this mutual acknowledgement. The Spirit, the bride in Scripture, is always the church. So every local expression, right? You're the bride, the church. And as the Spirit says, come, our response is, come. And the promise is that we will have our hearts quenched. Our, those who are thirsty come and desire and drink of water without price. The price has already been paid through the blood of a Lamb, through Christ Jesus, right? And while the world around us chases after so many things so as to quench desires, we are called to chase after, and not chase after, to just partake, really, of the water, of living waters in Jesus Christ. So yesterday, or not, was it yesterday? It was Friday. My days blend together here. We were at an end-of-year party with a bunch of first graders. Um, Somebody was heading off to um, the next, you know, school. um, And we were gathering together with them. We had lots of, you know, juices, those little barrel juices, right, that you can find. um, Popsicles, the like. We, we found that they would consume that at no end, but they were still thirsty, right? So we would have to remind them, drink water. You've got to drink water. I mean, we're out for hours. You've got to drink water. Um, we know that. I mean, you know what it feels like to have a water quench your thirst in ways that nothing else can. Spiritually, the world around us is trying to quench its thirst in things that just dehydrate them further, and they don't even see it. Um, the water that we've been given are the words of life in Scripture. We get tastes of it at the altar every time we receive um, of the blood of Christ. We're reminded of that time and time again. And thus we are called to tell the world you can't find it anywhere else. The only thing that will quench your thirst is Jesus. And then the final reminder in verse 18 is one last caution. It's a good caution. It replies, applies to this uh, book of Revelation, but I'd contend it applies to the whole of Scripture. If anyone hears these words and does not do them, basically you forfeit your share in the tree of life. In two ways, the world typically does that. One is to delete words, and one is to add words. Both come from the same place. When we try to um, read our lives or the culture or anything into Scripture, typically we wind up qualifying. Well, what Jesus really meant was, or, you know, that's love. Love's just love, period, full stop. But let's not look at the rest, right? So there are there are different approaches to Scripture. One is to add and qualify. One is to remove, both of which will not work because ultimately both of which fall short of understanding and attaining the life that we've been given in Christ Jesus. So there's, there's a caution there. And then the final promise, which is kind of our last point here, right, is that we receive those things we receive what has gone before and i think this is the most missed uh understood point of scripture what jesus is doing this is what's so beautiful it's a restoration rescue project it's not a reset and redo there's not a wiping out of everything else and 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 then we redo it all that happened of course in genesis and the flood and the promise was never again This is a rescue project. It's a redemption project. And so in the end is where we begin, back with the tree of life. Think back to Genesis. Um, In the garden, under the presence, the protection, and the provision of God himself, where there, everything we look for, everything we try to find in so many places, is finally fulfilled in that place. As everything is restored and redeemed and brought to its conclusion. It's a rescue project, and that's the promise that will be found there and not on the outside looking in as we persevere, as we remain pure, and as we keep oriented on the promise. I think the final thing that's convicting as a practice to think through is this. The final words of Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Can we say those words every day? Surely you're coming soon. Come today. I agree. Amen. Amen means I agree. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let it happen today. Can that be our prayer in all integrity? If, if we can't say those words and really mean it, we need to ask ourselves why. If we say, you know, Lord, you're coming soon and I agree with that and you need to come but not yet, then why can't we say those words? What is it that needs to be shored up in our lives? What are we holding on to that is is so important that we don't want Jesus to return yet? Um, the, The cry of the Christian heart, especially in light of this week, should be, Jesus, come quickly. Come today. By the close of today, let today be the day you show up. And with each waking breath, if it doesn't come to pass, we should say, let today be the day. And let me do whatever I need to do, as C.S. Lewis says, um, to square away my life, to live as though this day is the last, but I'll plan out for what comes next. If those are our beliefs, then we should order our lives around the urgency that those words bear. And if we don't, take the grace we've been given until he returns to square up to those words, to find what we need to do, and to make amends with others and with Christ, So that we can persevere until those words come to pass. Because the whole of the Christian life is one that we should look every day for Jesus coming. We should, like those first century Christians, um, find what it means to do so. As we look at every facet of our lives and say, well, if this, then that. If this, then that. How do I live in these world and these days? Well, Paul wrote the Romans, right? Well, you know, you live in a different kingdom. So live peaceably under your rulers now. I mean, what does it take? We need to look at that at every juncture so that we're always ready for those days to come to pass. I, um, this was a hard week. Um, My first grader came home the day after the tragedy and looked at me and said, Daddy, did that happen? And um, that's the first time that tragedy has hit her world. We, like most parents, kind of shelter her from things in the world around us. And I, she said she heard about it from a friend. So I scooped her up and I said, yes, sweetheart, tragically so. Um, And then her first words in all innocence were, why? Why did that happen? Um, And I was in the moment trying to think of this grand theological response to tell her to put uh, the problem of evil on her level, but just gut, visceral response. All I said was, because the world needs Jesus, sweetheart. And that was it. I mean, I just thought "That, that sums it up. And if we believe that, then we have to order our lives around that So, in new ways, that night, I was saying, Lord, come quickly. Just come quickly. And I hope we don't lose that every day. We don't just go back until the next thing happens, and then we're back to that place again, but that should order our lives every day, every day, so that we can raise generations around us for however long they endure with the days that we've been given, so that we model for them what that looks like, because at the end of the day, that is our only hope. That is the world's only hope. And so our prayer, our plea, our cry to the Lord is, surely you are coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.